Wolf and Joey. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 290. Jason Lingren is with me and Mandara Cromwell. Uh, if you'll remember back almost three months ago, uh, we recorded with Mandara all about cymatics. We're going to get into a lot of things. Mandara is going to have a gift that she will give to second hour listeners, which is about membership, which is simply about trying to maintain numbers. The only, the only reason we do it this way is because if we say it in hour one, we'll get numbers we can't deal with, hundreds if not thousands sometimes. But there will be a film, which she'll describe in a minute here. Jason, welcome. And good morning. All right. Do we have anything or should we jump right in here? Let's jump. All right. Uh, welcome back, Mandara. Good to have you back. Hey, it's great to be back with both of you, Crow and All right. Jason. All right. So just briefly, so if you're a member of Crow 777 Radio and you send an email, you'll give a pass key for, I think you said a 90-minute film. Can you just describe the 90-minute film? Sure. For your listeners, I'm happy to share a, a really beautiful, professionally done uh, film called The Art and Science of Sound. And uh, in this film, I recommend that you watch it on a larger screen, invite some friends over, have dinner. It's a really uh, wonderful presentation on uh, a larger screen. In the film content, you'll see two artistic renditions of cymatic images. The first one is uh, from a choreographer who uses uh, dance, ballet, traditional uh, classical uh, ballet, along with yogic moves. And she's actually dancing the creation of the universe with these cymatic images. And people just watching this clip have reported healings, just seeing the, this uh, beautiful kind of works on the mirror neuron theme. Uh, also in the, the film is John Stuart Reed, who's a British researcher uh, of cymatics and uh, the inventor of the cymoscope. And he talks about different aspects of sound and different types of sound and their bandwidths and how each of those bandwidths heal or present a healing opportunity to the um, body, mind, and spirit. And then we also have um, the composer, Professor James Oliverio of Digital Worlds Institute at the University of Florida, who's taken the cymatic images of the major organ systems that we know through the Chinese five element system. And he's composed a piece with their sounds and their visuals that's really mesmerizing. And uh, I also give a presentation on the mystical side of cymatics. So it's really a beautiful film and I'm happy to offer it to your listeners if they email me through my website and uh, just say that they've listened to our conversation here today, and I'll send you a passcode to access that film. Okay, so it's a bit like Shoot the Moon, folks, for people who have done that. We give you an email, you request a key, Jason sends the key. It's a similar thing going on there. Um, you're speaking my language, Mandara. Uh, from my point of view, of the things that we've kind of temporarily lost— Cymatics is maybe one of the most important because there's not a part of our world that doesn't touch. You want to talk about color, you want to talk about form, you want to talk about anything. We could attribute that back to the idea of what we currently call frequency. And from my point of view, getting back to these older ideas will do nothing but benefit us all day long. But I want to, last time we had you on, I was going to turn you on to a book called The Hermetic Science of Motion and Number. And I'll say that one more time for listeners who want a very interesting read. Uh, by the way, I think you can find it on archive.org still. 
It's Hermetic Science of Motion and Number, and the author, who's written many things, all of which I think are worth time to read, A.S. Raleigh. Last name is spelled R-A-L-E-I-G-H, A.S. Raleigh. He's a Christian mystic, and I have appreciated darn near everything I've read from the Christian mystics from the simple reason that they're not bigots. They take everybody's tradition seriously, and they look at these things. And I think that's about the most helpful thing we can do in this world right now. But what was your impression of the hermetic science of motion and number? And I, I imagine there's probably one or two chapters that you were more interested in as opposed to the whole book. Actually, I really appreciate you turning me on to this book, Crow. Um, it, it's not a very big book. So for your listeners who don't have it, it's just about 100 pages, a little bit over a uh, hundred pages, and Raleigh is a master at distilling from all traditions. Uh, in this book, I found the um, the connection of the Vedic, the Taoist, the Christian, even little concepts of Pythagoras, who I really love, the Greeks, and uh, it really ties it all together. For me, it's not just intellectual, but it was experiential as well. I, he describes things in a, a way that you can really visualize, or, or for me, it was easy for me to visualize the concept that he was trying to share. And uh, I really loved it. And in, in the beginning, he says, um, color, sound, and form are connected by all vibratory activity. And that's exactly the world of cymatics, our, our cymatic universe of vibration. Our universe, basically. The real world. <laughs> the real world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you're, you're nailing exactly. If it's written by A.S. Rowley or some of the other folks at Ruther, I will take my time to read it. Um, and I appreciate exactly what you said. Uh, it's no nonsense. It's straight to the point, but it doesn't matter where the learning or the knowing or the tradition came from. Uh, usually when you put Christian on a, on something, it means that they're going to be pretty much interested in this one part of our basically worldwide spectrum of things we could be concerned with. And it's not that at all. What it is, is the collection of all the knowing that they can get their hands on from I guess I'll say ancient times, whether that's correct or not, and they reattribute it. And quite often they'll bounce it off scripture and do other things. It's it's very, very helpful. But that leads me into a thing we talked about right before we came on air. Um, Jason and I want to do an episode on using colored light as medicine. And there's a man in a book I'm going to mention here, and it turned out you were already familiar with it. I just got Rose a sweet e-reader, and we have some things in common now. So maybe Rose will be making notes now uh, to help us because our, our workload is so kind of overwhelming with double the shows. But the name, and I hope I get this right because I'm looking at the e-reader title, which is sometimes a little different. I think it's called Color War, but I'll give you the whole thing that I have listed here. The author, who is the man who was healing with light, his name is Dinshaw P. Gadiali. So Dinshaw is spelled D-I-N-S-H-A-N, middle name P, last name G-H-A-D-I-A-L-I. He's an Indian man. And so the entirety of the title that I have here is Color War of Disha P. 
Gotti Aldi's battle with the medical establishment over his revolutionary light healing science. Part of the problem for us to cover this is I think I feel like we could really only use the first couple of chapters where he's talking about these machines he made. And basically what we're talking about here is it's exactly what Simar, um, I'm sorry, Mandara does. Simara, there's your new name. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what Mandara is interested in, but it pulls it over to light instead of maybe sound or other things. But in my view, it's all the same thing. Whether you're talking about light, color, form, it could all be related back to the idea of cymatics in my mind. But what he did here is he had this machine that basically used light to heal people. And apparently there was very old roots that he drew on. And when he got to this country, the medical establishment was having none of it, but he got a following big. Anything you want to comment on the, the Dinshaw work? I'd like to just add that, you know, he does come from India, and if we remember, that is the oldest medical system that we're aware of that still exists today. And definitely in those ancient medical systems, they used color, sound, uh, aromatherapy, and the beauty of what Dinshaw did, and I try to do as well, is we develop technology to help people. So it's not like we're trying to change anything, but in this world where there's like a lot of chaos going on right now, um, sometimes we need a pitch pipe to help bring us back into tune. And so through like the device that I created, the AMI 750 and Dinshaw's devices, what we're able to do is harness the energy and kind of set people on a path in the right direction to create kind of a scaffolding of this frequency and vibration in our field so that people can kind of have a ladder rung to, to hang on to, to move them forward to the next step. It's not the, um, the total answer in the sense that when it comes right down to it, we have got to do our own work. It's our path. We're here but there's a lot of help and we can use all of the information that Dinshaw did a great job in his teachings of taking all of this information from the ancient tradition and from what he saw to put it together to help us. And it all has to do with color and vibration. Right. So anytime, you know, from my point of view, Mandara, if we were talking about listening to a song, there's clearly a frequency there. Clearly, we could put a glass plate on a speaker and put some sand on it, and it would show us the cymatic pattern it's making. In my view, whether you're talking about form, light, anything is going to have a resonance or a frequency or a vibratory rate. Um, and that's why cymatics is so important. And what Dinshaw did the opening of the book, um, it's beyond. He creates these machines that basically just project light at people. But in some of the places in the first couple, two, three chapters, he's telling you, I use this color light, this color light for this amount of time. Uh, part of the problem for us is there's like clinical trials where he's telling you about actual living human beings. And I don't feel like I should cover that because I don't have permission and I don't know who the people were, but to get back to it, um, I think it's a worthwhile read and I'll put out the call right now. If there's anyone listening that is aware of anyone who's still using Dinshaw's method that he introduced or has one of those machines, there were apparently thousands, uh, when the mainstream came down on them. So, you know, some of those machines must have, have survived. If anyone is one of those people who's still 
doing what he was doing, I'd be interested in meeting you. Um, but where do you want to go from here, Mandara? We've got a we've got an open road here. Well, I, let's just go a little bit with uh, touching on Dinshaw's work and also the what um, A.S. Raleigh writes because and cymatics, they're all uh, intertwined beautifully. So in these, um, you know, ancient medical systems, what we see is that they are treating the physical ailments in a different way, from a different perspective. Today, when somebody has, and, and this is taking a little while for all of uh, our current society to grasp, they say, I have this itchy skin. I need to go to the doctor. The doctor will give me some ointment to take care of this itchy skin. Whereas the other approach from, you know, Dinshaw and, and, and the more uh, holistic uh, perspective is what is causing that? What is the source? And then this itchy skin is just the symptom. So where does that chaotic messaging happen that is being expressed through our outer transducer, we'll call the skin as the outer transducer. This is a cymatic pattern actually on the skin of our body. So what vibration do we need to, you know, turn or adjust within the more subtle bodies that will help change that cymatic formation that's being expressed on our outer skin. And this is the beauty of using sound, frequency, lights. Uh, and this is how Dinsha, um, you know, generated this, you know, volumes of research of how he used different types of, of light to affect the human physiology. And I just jump way back here into the Vedic texts where they talk about the, the human body is analogous to a musical instrument and that we have 72 strings and each of these strings and th think forward again, you, you can make the leap to Pythagorean times where he's, you know, measuring the, the uh, tones and the color frequency excuse me, frequencies and the sound frequencies that go along with these springs. Well, back to the Vedic text, they say that the human body is like a musical instrument. We have 72 strings and that we have three main uh, strings, which for those of uh, your listeners who are, in, uh, who are familiar with yoga and meditation, the main channel is called the Shashumna, and then we have the Ida and Pingala main three strings that are fine-tuning the body. And our upper centers of these strings are where our vibrations of, of thoughts and words are created. And this cascades down through these energetic portals or energetic places that we've identified as chakra, the chakra system. So now we have the formation, the expression in the subtle bodies and coming through into the physical bodies. So in modern day science, we have validation of all of these old uh, concepts and, and principles that have been carried down through time. Uh, for example, Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about how the moment you change your thought, it affects your whole body chemistry. So 
I just want to say that with color, sound, vibration, our whole vibratory field shifts when we begin to develop some discipline and some um, awareness. The, the first step is awareness of these fields and realize that we do live in this cymatic universe, this vibrational universe, and we have some ability because we're co-creators in this universe. And if I just go a little bit into the, um, in the, the Vedic test, they share about the primordial sound of Om, and that is the cosmic hum that we um, sense throughout the heavens. Well, it's similar in the Chinese. They believe that this primordial sound was called Wong Chang. And directly translated, that translates into something that says it's the yellow bell, which was uh, an audible sound and thought to be present everywhere in divine vibration. Just like the Vedic texts talk about Om, here we have in the Chinese tradition, the, the yellow bell. And they say that it was divided into 12 lesser sounds or tones. And these cosmic tones were um, emanations of an aspect um, that were like very tangible, physical, uh, of the uh, coming down into the lower octaves. We see them associated with the 12 zodiacal regions of the heavens, and that those actually correspond to the 12 major meridians in our body. So if you can sort of go way out to a universal perspective, and we're sort of looking down. Uh, from the heavens down to, you know, the, the earthly plane, we see all of the planetary motions and, and their beautiful cymatic dance and how they have some impact on our physicality. And it's easy to see for me, uh, in, in my belief, that then we can see, oh, wow, this is affecting us. And also it's affecting our, our um, physical health. And how we can use sound and color vibration to kind of tune ourselves up to come back into harmony, so to speak, with the music of the spheres. Thanks for letting uh, me go on that little Yeah, parade. no, that's no problem <laughs> at all. And actually, in, in the book, The Hermetic Science, there is a, uh, a whole chapter on the musical spheres. But I would point out that you went through the Vedic ideas, you know, om and ah, and what they mean. People may be familiar. Then you went over the Chinese ideas, but even up into the onset of the Christian era in the book of John, the opening line is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It's the same idea. We're talking about basically a vibratory rate. I mean, after all, what is speech? So these ideas have been everywhere, just explained in slightly different ways. And when you were talking about the 72 strings of the body, that pulled me back to the hermetic book that I mentioned in the opening for the simple reason, when you got to the three strings that fine tune, anyone who's a musician understands that three strings can make a chord right? A triad. So I can use three separate notes to make an A or a B or a G or any, basically a note, but it's a chord at that point. And that will relate to what we've been talking about in the idea of a, a key tone. There's just so much here. And it, I mean, I don't know if you're with me here, Amanda, it always relates back. The ideas are the same, just expressed slightly differently, aren't they? That is so true. So true. And, you know, we see uh, just, you know, visually to uh, connect here, you know, if we look at the uh, relationship of the macrocosm and the microcosm, 
in the uh, Chinese medicine, we help people with something called qigong, which is an honor of the energy and that how each organ system has a specific energy vibration. And, and within these qigong exercises, we're honoring the color and the motion, the sound of each organ system. And we have the, even the iris, our eye can look like one of the galaxies. You know, it's, you know, I'm going to ask Jason if you want here. We've been kind of dominating, but it's, it's almost like at one point I covered the idea of the old alchemist interested in healing using plants in the art of spagyrics or the alchemy of the plant world. And some of the things I had read for the first time I read them, I'm all, how is it that this isn't obvious on the face of it? But it wasn't. I had never thought about it before I read that the alchemist goes out to the garden and he goes into his herb garden. He says, oh, there's a plant and it has blue flowers. And by the way, there's six petals. And instantly he knew all these things, polarity, negative or positive. Is this 10 male or female, uh, the vibratory rate. And I, I realized that we could pretty quickly get back to a high level of knowing based on working in cymatics. After all, how many people consider that if I go out to my lawn and I see a yellow dandelion and you look, how many petals does a dandelion? What is there, 70 or 100 there? That tells you that it's probably a higher frequency, right? Based on what we know of cymatics. And then I go to another plant that only has four petals on the flower. Um, there's so much that we could know instantly just by a cursory view if we got back to understanding the idea of cymatics a little more seriously. I mean, what do you think? Well, the basics have long been lost in our educational system. And uh, I think probably the closest um, to these teachings that we've had in our lifetime is probably the work of uh, Rudolf Steiner and Maria Montessori and teaching children or allowing children to go into the the greenlands or the forests or the woods and and commune with nature in the sense of learning about the plants and, and the vibration, as you explained, you know, blue has a certain vibratory uh, message that it communicates to us. Uh, six petals, six is a, a special number in its uh, own right. And actually every number and every color has a message. And then when you combine them together, what is that message? We don't, um, spend time with our children other than in the first, you know, year of helping them identify color and, and uh, that type of thing to really teach them these things. I think the, the kids who are uh, closest to this are those who grow up in rural areas and, and watch the cycles of nature, watch the, the different plants that grow in their local community. They learn it without even realizing they're learning it. Exactly think about this before I hand it over to Jason. You know, I've been interested in growing things basically my whole life, but I came to realize that having five petals on a flower is a very common thing. There are tons and tons and tons of flowers that have five petals. And I, as we were talking here, I was beginning to realize, so if we go into science, how it is classified things, those, all those wide variety of plants that just happen to have five petals on a flower may not even be related until you get up into kingdom or something way up. But is it possible that they're actually related very closely by vibratory rate 
just because they have five pedals. So many ideas we could get into here, but Jason, uh, do you want to jump in here? When do you think the school systems really got the axe from the way things should be? Hmm. Probably the 1800s, I would think, right? Um, let's see. I'm trying to see. You know, I just was reading uh, a book this morning as I was sitting at the breakfast table with my 12-year-old grandson who is homeschooled, and he had a book on weather. And so I was leafing through that book, and I saw that it was the 1800s where the masses, as a, a a group, it became common knowledge that the planets revolve around the sun. And I thought that is really interesting because I thought it was way before that. But if we look at that system, that's more the Western system. If Again, if we go back, back, back to the Vedic and the um, ancient Chinese texts, we see that they had knowledge of astrology and, and astronomy and uh, weather cycles way before then. So I think that, um, and it again, as we are making reference to A.S. Raleigh's book, it's the Pythagorean schools who had the, this knowledge and for people who weren't prepared, I mean, you, you needed to have a basic understanding of these natural laws before you were even admitted to these higher uh, schools of, of learning. And so I think what happened is, you know, we have these other influences and in, in times of chaos where uh, rulers filled with power and greed, whatever, come in and they want to control and uh, I, th I think it happened somewhere along there, Jason. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly, but at some point, knowledge became lost or no longer focused upon. That was not an important thing to teach. And so, yeah, that's what I think. And, you know, the whole educational system is up for debate as well. I mean, j just in the fact of kids going to school, those who are grasping concepts more quickly as opposed to those who are not, uh, the ones who are grasping them more quickly are uh, held back, so to speak. And this is where things like homeschooling excel because the curriculum can go as fast as the child is able to go. And also the children who maybe are going through a cycle where it's a little more difficult for them, they get left behind. Well, our school system is taught to just go for the middle group, right? So when did we have that shift that we just went for the middle group and didn't allow the kids on the outside of those lines not serve them? Because in my belief, each person is valuable. And just because some kid, uh, I mean, I feel like in, in a way, I was one of those slower kids back then. But then one day I found myself surpassing i think it's we all go through these different cycles which i relate to cymatics because there are many other things happening simultaneously and in our educational system we just we try to make that a very static situation as opposed to looking at it in its dynamic form it reminds me of back even i think just where i live here in rhode island the the last 
there's a few buildings still that were one room schoolhouses in my neighborhood. There was one. Well, it's not now, but there was one of them and they basically taught early grade school up to pre-high school. And it occurred to me when you're thinking about how people learn. So there's younger children in this room, and then there's people that are about to be in high school in this room and all the teaching is going on. So you can imagine that the young people who were ready to be way further ahead than where they were could hitchhike right with the older people in the room. And the people who weren't could be where where they were. And the reason I mention is because, you know, my father was a PhD. He was a teacher his whole life. And for the life of me, when I was young, it felt like the adults were way more educated just in general than they are now. But of course, now we're going into the whole idea that you can go to a university online and it's just as good. Or for that matter, I I had a call from the VA the other day. Are you ready for your checkup this year? And I said, well, am I coming in or was this video? And they said, it's video. I said, that's, that's worthless to me. No, I'm not interested. No, thank you. Um, (laughs) what, what is that? That's not a doctor, you know, evaluating (laughs) me. That's, you know, that's a video game in my mind. Um, but I think we can agree that education has at least temporarily really fallen. And if I was going to answer the question, Jason asked you, I would put the beginning of it as we were coming into the Renaissance, because so much of the knowledge was held in languages that everyone didn't speak. And as we came through that, certain concepts began to rule, like Plato would be a good example. If you didn't know Plato, because he's like one of the keystones and what we accept to be worthwhile here, then you can't go forward. And I think that's really where the tint of what was going to go forward all the way up to the 1800s got laid down. And I know there's no question in there. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'll just comment that I, uh, my first three years of school, I mean, I lived in a, grew up in a very rural area and, uh, my first three years of school, I went to a one room schoolhouse. So I can, uh, definitely relate to that. And also this, this is the same concept though, that Steiner and, and Maria Montessori have in their classrooms where there's a, um, a span of ages in the same class. So the younger children are learning from the older children and um, the older children learn. I mean, how do you really learn something? You teach it. So um, yeah, there's a whole cymatic vibratory world there. Right. Exactly. Um, Even the young people are experiencing what the older to some degree, but there's a, there's a thing I wanted to ask you and I'd forgotten earlier when we were talking about AS rally you know the part where he's he actually states, let, let me back up. I'll explain it so people who haven't heard will understand. Remember the old supposed Tesla device, little black box that vibrates? You could put it on a bridge and let it vibrate until the entire bridge comes to resonance over however long it takes. The idea being is when it comes to resonance, basically the whole bridge just disintegrates, which actually has been shown to be true. This is based on the idea that everything has a keynote which is based on the idea of cymatics. Everything has a resonance or frequencies that make them up. But in the book, they were talking about every human being individually has a keynote. And if you knew what that keynote was, you could take a violin and they were very specific saying you wouldn't do staccato or quick bowing. That would not be beneficial. But if you knew your keynote, you could find it on a violin and slowly resonate that to re-energize your body. Do you know of a way, or is this known currently, how could an individual find what their keynote for their body is? Is it even possible with what we know right now? 
I don't know if it's possible to find the exact uh, keynote other than, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you assess that. I will say that uh, that's basically what we do with my device, the AMI 750. Uh, each code plays five different frequencies. So it's kind of like this buffet table of five dishes. And within that five frequency range, your body resonates with some or of each or uh, specifically those dishes that are within that presentation. And so it's a gentle calling back to resonance. But I don't know of any way that uh, you're basically diagnosed or evaluated in that way. I know that when I um, met Dr. Manners, the British osteopath that I uh, studied with, that was one of the things I asked him. I said, where, where do you see this cymatic therapy going? Like, how, how would this in the long run benefit our mankind? And uh, he said it would be that when we were born, our frequent vibrations were, would be captured. And every seven years, we would be able to capture these vibratory rates so that uh, in, say, that you are um, age 20 and you're in a car accident and, and get a little messed up, you could go back to the last vibratory imprint and reconstitute, find your, your resonant, so to speak, keynote. Also, Raleigh says that our keynotes change that even though we have one basic keynote over a period of time, depending on our, our thoughts and our environment, where we're led on our journey here on this uh, planet, that that can change our, our keynote. Which I guess on the face of it is obvious. If you know anything about cymatics, a person does not look at 50 the way they look at 20, which must correspond to vibration like everything else, I would say. But it goes to show you what we've lost. So we're reading, I, I don't remember, is it 1800s, the, the A.S. Raleigh book? I don't even remember um, when it was published. It was either late 1800s, early 19s. I just don't recall. Yeah, I think he's early 1900s. Uh, let's see, I have it right here before me. I'll just take a quick peek here. Oh, gosh, I think I got one of those uh, unusual copies that <laughs> I think was left over from some uh, book run. Yeah, a lot, a lot of them are photocopied, and I think you may be right now that you're saying it. But the point I would make is, so here's a man back in the day, let's just say it was the early 1900s. We're in the ballpark, right? We can't be more than 50 years off, I think. Um, <laughs> but he's saying, uh, we know that human beings can have a keynote. We've described to you what a keynote does, but what does that infer? What does that imply? It implies that there was a time when it was possible to understand what your keynote is. And when you started talking about the five, I hope I'm using the right language here, frequencies in the system you use, I wanted to ask, are, are you using a range from low to high frequencies? Uh, are there frequency areas that you center in where all five exist or how does that work? You know, that is the, the work that was passed on to me, Crow. And um, so if, and they're all within the audible range. Mm. The frequency patterns are very unusual in their uh, presentation. So let's just say that we're looking to help someone with, say, inflammation in um, their liver. 
Okay, so those that frequency program that we would play, and we only play it for a couple of minutes. Uh, and and these are, I'm just taking these numbers out of my head. I, I don't even know if they're the right one. So nobody carve this in stone. I would have to look it up. But let's just say that there are five frequencies. Maybe it's two thirty two, uh, two forty six, five fifty three, six eighty one and 720 cycles per second which we would currently call hertz is that right that's correct that's correct so all of those are playing simultaneously so what your and so what was explained to me because that was one of the first questions that i asked dr manners i said you know how did you come up with five and he said well clearly it was experimentation we tried one frequency, that didn't work. We tried two frequencies, nothing happened. Three, four, he said we almost gave up. But when we got to five, things really came together. And so, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll tag back to your um, comment about the five petals, that there are a plethora of, uh, you know, botanicals that have five petals or five leaves and five the number five is is really an interesting number particularly for the human body even with our eyesight uh you know the golden mean is is related to this uh the the in uh, music the three two ratio the perfect fifth we have a lot of five that's really um prevalent in how we see hear feel in our world. And so here we have these um, frequencies that help with inflammation in the liver. And it's, it's just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm pausing because there are about six different ways I could go with that thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, five is, is uh, very interesting and, and you entrain to that in a very gentle way. And so these frequencies, because they're all in the audible range, are very gentle. And we're playing them for a short period of time. So it's like listening to a nice relaxing song or uh, melody. Whereas, and, and I'll just scoot over to, because a lot of people say, well, how, is, how are these different than the rife frequencies? So the rife frequencies are, are basically not in the audible range, and they are one or two frequencies that are very targeted to destroy pathogens. So it's a different concept, again, uh, that we're looking at how we support the body is we are supporting the tissue to come back to its natural residence and, and then go off and, and perform its normal function as opposed to destroying something. But yeah, the f five was one thing that really perked my interest when I first learned and, and he was teaching me all of these um, concepts. And, you know, because of my tradition, um, you know, growing up in the Catholic Church and, and the Latin song and then living in India and studying Ayurveda and the five bodies, the physical body and the, the uh, subtle bodies, which also A.S. Raleigh talks about that as well. So five is really prevalent in our, um, in our whole cymatic universe. Actually, I, I did a recent thing where... I wanted to nail down what the older ideas of numbers were because what I realized is all these people doing num numerology, you could set two of them next to each other. And when you get above 10, 
it's really hit or miss what they're going to, which system they're using, how they're arriving at meaning. And so what I tried to do was go to the hermetic ideas. And what I like about the hermetic ideas is you can have two opposing ideas and a hermeticist will say they're both true. Just depends on the application. In this, what I currently accept to be true is five is one of the most powerful numbers. uh, And that's reflected in the idea of the geometry that goes with it, the five-pointed star. And in the older ideas, it was stated that two and five would be the evilest of numbers if removed from the Deccan, which again is telling you that these are powerful ideas. It just comes down to, uh, is it positive or negative? But in the way that we see a flower using, that's five within a Deccan, which the Deccan is the idea of 10. Has it been removed from the 10? And in the way that you're using it, it remains within the Deccan. But I think I cut you off, Jason. Were you about to jump in with something? Well, this technology that Mandara was describing sounds very effective. So they're researching this heavily to cure COVID-19, right? (laughs) Are are we allowed to say that, number one? I guess we are, but... uh... (laughs) You know, this is the the great thing about the the corona dance, (laughs) the pandemic, that a lot of people are saying, holy Toledo... I'm not going to be able to go to my doctor. I'm not going to be able to get my pill, to my magic pill to, to do whatever. I'm going to have to take some responsibility for myself. What should I do? What is out there? You know, um, basically, <laughs> uh, you'll read a lot out there where <laughs> thought process that man is really lazy, man and woman. We're, we're really a lazy people. And we have to, um, you know, be inspired or prodded to, um, you know, develop some self-discipline. And I think uh, if I could see a positive silver lining to this rainy cloud period is that people are saying, what should I do? How can I uh, take this into my own hands and keep myself and my family healthy? And so using uh, a device such as the one that I've created, we're all about maintaining health. We're not about, as I say, that we're, we're not destroying pathogens or anything. We just want to bring everything back to neutral. And so what does neutral really mean? Well, for people who are listening, if you're just crazy these days because of all of the COVID, uh, I call it crazy corona, and the political mayhem and all that, there's a lot of chaotic energies out there that are ramping us up and keeping us off center. So what we have to do to regain our center uh, and to come back to a neutral state is we need to take control of our own cymatic universe. And how do we support that? So, you know, with different foods and, and nutritionals, I mean, there are a lot of holistic physicians out there who have stated basically the same nutritional arsenal that you can keep in your medicine chest or or, uh, on your kitchen counter so that you can take it every day. There are a lot of meditation teachers who are teaching us how to meditate. If you don't know how to meditate, we've got some great tools for that. Just visit my website. But the main thing that we find in people who are susceptible to COVID or any condition is that they get off center. They're not vibrating at that optimum rate that we read about in Raleigh's book. So if we get off kilter and we're off into chaos, and hey, we're not saying that chaos can't be fun, but 
after a while, we become very weary of it and it becomes very stressful. And so we find that the people who have fallen hard with the COVID symptoms, a lot of them have had a prolonged stressful period. Chronic, they suffer from chronic stress. They had a, a major hit, shall we say, emotionally, that maybe they lost their job, maybe they're, you know, all of these things come into play with our physical health, our mental health. And how can we use the science of cymatics that we know, the vibrational spiritual world of cymatics to come back into neutral? And so, you know, with my device, we say that it's a, a targeted approach which creates like a force field when you're turning it on and you're, you're sitting there and, and the uh, sounds are, are playing. It creates this force field around the body and it's just kind of like the scaffolding that you can use as a support system and um, help yourself stay strong. You also have to you know keep your mental processes intact. And I'm not saying that uh, I don't fall into fear and anxiety along with the rest of the group, but for those of us who know and, and have access to tools of how to keep well, we are definitely employing every one of them. Now, to be a little crass, I have to uh, admit that I take a very huge dose of who gives a shit every single day, and I've been fine for the past year, and I think Crow has been too. <laughs> no no complaints my only question is what do i do with my favorite beer now and should i even allow the lime to hang out with it but beyond that terrible pun i wanted to pull this over um <laughs> to light for a second there's a lot of people who are pointing out that led lights and the reason i'm jumping over to light here just so everyone knows is light is also a cymatic you could consider it as as a vibratory rate and i want to know if you've got any take on this some of the claims being made, and to be fair, um, I have on my on my computer monitors, I have blue blockers. Every monitor that I have, as the sun would be going down because it's time to where I am, the blue is being removed from the light. It starts to appear more yellowy orange or something like that as the night goes on, <laughs> which is why when you look at some of my images that have been designed late at night, they they look a little different than other ones. This is exactly why. But my point is, is the claim is, is that a lot of these LEDs are very blue light heavy, uh, which could have a negative effect. Do you have any idea on any of this? I do. And <laughs> what uh, what I think a lot of people fall into is they hear one thing and they just hang on to that one thing and that's the only thing and they're only you know using that for example we'll say vitamin c uh i'll just use that as an example because that's pretty uh <laughs> pretty easy so you know we all our body doesn't make vitamin c so how do we get vitamin c we take it uh usually orally there are injections and and uh, there are different forms of oral you know liposomal as opposed to uh capsules and pills and tablets etc but if you take a lot of vitamin C, or some doctors will say, take the vitamin C up to bowel tolerance. So that means your stomach is going to go, whoa, this is just too much. And you're going to, you know, have to run to the bathroom and hopefully you make it there in time. But um, the thing about that is too much of a good thing is not the answer either. And it's the same way with the light. 
people, the LED lights that you bring up a, a very good example in that too much of this type of light is detrimental. Too much of certain types of sound are detrimental also. So what we have to do is, again, develop our own inner awareness, our knowing that, hey, I've had enough of this. I'll take my own device as an example. When I'm traveling, which we haven't been traveling too much lately, but when I do travel and I can't have access to my device because, you know, it's uh, I've been traveling across the United States and not access to it. So when I get onto uh, my device, sometimes I'll do three, four sessions in a row back to back. Because my body is thirsty and, you know, hungry for this support. That's not something that I normally recommend to most people. And we can go into that later. But the point I'm trying to make is that at some point, I'll be in the middle of the third protocol and I'll go, oh, I'm finished. My cup is full. I don't need to drink anymore. So I think we all need to develop our own inner awareness of when we've had enough. When have we had enough of that LED light? There's information out there about the detrimental side of LED lights. And and I know some people won't even buy, you know, we just passed the Christmas season. Uh, They won't even put up holiday lights that are LEDs because they hurt their eyes. We need to develop our own inner knowing. I think that's some of the best advice. And this is what I did. I reasoned it out. And by the way, I'm going to be wrapping up here in a minute for hour one. I reasoned it out what we experience if I was down at the beach and the sun goes down. I reasoned it out what I've done in my life. Like when I go underwater, I know one of the first colors to go away is blue. I know why blue is on the bottom of a rainbow. It's the shortest frequency. So it bends the least. And when I put it on my monitor, this is what I personally experienced, the blue blocker. So the blue blocker blocks more blue as the sun goes down. And it really does change the color of your monitor. Some people hate it. I love it. What I noticed is is if I'm up to 10 or 11 o'clock, which happens a lot because it takes me four or five hours to create the images for each episode, before I had the blue blocker, it would take me a long time to be able to get ready to actually go to sleep. After I put the blue blocker on and it goes to this kind of yellowy orange, it was much easier to be relaxed. But anyhow, that's it for hour one of episode 290 uh, with Jason Lindgren and Mandara Cromwell. You can research Mandara Cromwell online. First name is Mandara, M-A-N-D-A-R-A. Last name, C-R-O-M-W-E-L-L, Mandara Cromwell. When we come back, we're going to get into a bunch of things. As promised, we will give out a direct contact so people uh, in membership can request keys. And again, I don't want to get a bunch of emails. It's simply numbers. If I give it out in hour one, we potentially could get thousands of emails and we You just can't keep up. That's the only reason we do it this way. But I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And you can join us for hour two as a member at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. There it is, man. Cheers.
enemy of knowing. Come.